Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Mr. Classic Wrestling Podcast. And today, I'm bringing back another episode of Monday Night Madness. And today, I'm going to review WCW World War III 1995. Um, Starting off tonight, our first match of the evening, it is Johnny B. Bad defending his television championship against DDP. Starting off the match, Johnny hits a crossbody on Diamond Dallas Page. Johnny then hits a fireman's carry on DDP. Johnny then hits a tope on DDP on the outside. DDP then gets up, hits a pancake on Johnny. Johnny then gets up, hits a powerbomb on DDP that that looked absolutely brutal. DDP then hits a total world slam on Johnny in the middle of the ring. Johnny then gets up, hits a head scissors on DDP. Johnny then gets up again, hits a tombstone on DDP in the middle of the ring. Johnny then hits the bad moon on DDP. And then Johnny hits a springboard leg drop on DDP and pins DDP for the three. And still, your WCW television champion, Johnny B. Bat. Great match between both guys. After that match, we go to our next match of the night. It is Bubble Rogers versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Um, this was a decent match. I mean, it was kind of back and forth between both guys. Uh, starting off the match, though, Duggan ends up attacking Rogers on the outside. Rogers then hits a, a step up Enziguri on Duggan in the middle of the ring. Duggan then hits a body slam on Rogers. Um, Wall Street then arrives to the ring, attempts to hit um, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, but Duggan ends up taking him out. Uh, Rogers then hits Duggan with a chain that's thrown into the ring, and Rogers wins by knockout. Now, the stipulation of this match, um, you either win by pinfall or knockout, so the winner of the match is Bubba Rogers. Um, after that match, we go into our next match of the evening. It is Suzuki and Ozaki versus Bull Nakano and Hakuto. Um, this was a great match. I, I, I'm kind of wishing that the tag team division on the main roster was kind of like this because this was this was fantastic. I don't know much about um, Suzuki, Ozaki, and o- o- Hokuto, but I do know a lot about Bull Nakano, and she is something. She is serious, man. Like she, that was that was Nia Jax way back in the day. And Nakano can actually wrestle. Um, but this was a gr- like crazy match. Starting off the match, though, Nakano and Hakuto attack Ozaki and Suzuki. Ozaki, Ozaki then hits a DDT on Hakuto. Suzuki then hits a single crab on Hakuto in the middle of the ring. Nakano then hits a powerbomb on Suzuki that looked absolutely brutal. Ozaki and Suzuki hit a uh, footstop off the top rope on Nakano. Okano then gets up, hits a double suplex on Ozaki and Suzuki. Okudo then hits a crossbody on Ozaki and Suzuki. Ozaki then hits a tequila sunrise on Hokuto. Okudo then gets up, hits a front flip off the top rope on Suzaki and Suzuki on the outside. And Okano then hits her um, signature leg drop off the top rope on Suzuki and pins Suzuki for the three. And your winners of the match are Bull Nokano and Hakuto. Um, like I said, fantastic match with all four women, man. It was it was a great tag match. It really was. So hats off to them. Um, the next match of the night after that, we have Chris Benoit versus Sasaki for the United States Championship. Again, this was another great match. Uh, starting off the match, Sasaki hits a devast- hits devastating chops on Benoit. Benoit then gets out of that, hits a tope on Sasaki on the outside of the ring. But I think when he hit that tope. Uh, Benoit ended up catching a piece of the guardrail on the outside, hit him right in the head. So I, I'm pretty much, I'm sure that hurt him that night. Uh, Benoit then hits a snap suplex on Suzaki. Suzaki then gets up, hits a power slam on Benoit. Benoit then gets up, hits a devastating tombstone on Suzaki in the middle of the ring. 
Benoit gets to the top rope, hits his uh, signature headbutt on Suzuki, pins Suzuki for the two. Benoit then hits a head scissors off the top rope on Suzuki. But then Suzuki gets up, hits uh, the brain buster on Chris Benoit, and pins Benoit for the three, and still your United States champion, Suzuki. Great match. Phenomenal match. After that match, we go into our next match of the evening. It is Macho Man Randy Savage versus Lex Luger. Uh, starting off the match, Randy Savage ends up attacking Luger. Randy then hits a uh, devastating clothesline on Luger in the middle of the ring. Randy then hits a body slam on Luger. Randy then gets up the top rope, hits a signature elbow drop on Luger, goes for the pin, but the, the referee is distracted by uh, Jimmy Hart. Luger then hits a torture rack on Randy on the outside, and Luger then ends up winning because, um, at the time, I guess, after the uh, torture rack that Luger applied on Randy Savage, Savage was completely incapacitated and could not continue the match. But after the match, though, Sting does arrive while Luger's still holding on to the submission. Quickly, Luger gets out of the submission, and that's the end of the match. It was a good match. It was a back-and-forth match, but I, I honestly couldn't have seen better from both Savage and Luger, to be honest with you. Um, after that match, we go into our next match of the night, probably the match of the night to me, uh, is the Nature Boy Ric Flair versus Sting in a grudge match. Um, starting off the match, Flair and Sting get face-to-face -face in the ring. Flair and Sting both mock each other. Sting then hits a press slam on Flair. Flair then gets up, hits devastating chops on Sting in the middle of the ring. Sting then hits a uh, drop kick on Flair. Sherry and then Colonial Parker end up making their way down the entrance ramp for some reason. Uh, Flair hits a cheap shot on Sting. Flair then drops a knee on Sting in the middle of the ring. Flair then applies a figure four leg lock on Sting in the middle of the ring. And Sting then gets out of the figure four. Sting hits another press slam on Flair. And then Sting uh, throws Flair off the top rope. Sting then hits a uh, suplex, superplex off the top rope on Flair. And then Sting applies a scorpion death lock on Flair in the middle of the ring. And your winner by submission is Sting. Um, that was a great match. Watching Ric Flair and Sting, I can watch those guys have a match every day, all day. I mean, the chemistry they have together in that in, in that ring is just phenomenal, man. You're not going to get two guys that know each other that well inside that squared circle to put on a great, fantastic match for the fans. And I, like I said, I can watch a match between those two guys all day long. Great match. Um, after that match, we go into the main event of the evening. It is the 60-man battle royal for the heavyweight championship of the world. Um, again, this was a great match. Uh, I, I think them having the 60-man battle royal definitely put them on the map. Um, and having, I guess, the pay-per-view, you know, World War III. Um, because it was three different rings with 60 competitors in that match. All in the match together and just and beating the hell out of each other. Um, it was a great match. And a lot of, like, good, notable names that were in there. Obviously, the Giant, Hogan, Randy Savage, Luger, Sting. Eddie Guerrero was there. I believe Brian Pillman was there. Chris Benoit. Um, Marcus Bagwell was there. A lot of notable names that were in this um, Battle Royal. Um, but Randy Savage ended up winning the Battle Royal. He won the um, World Heavyweight Championship, but not kind of won it by controversy. Um, the Giant ended up pulling Hogan underneath the ropes. Obviously, the referee didn't get a chance to see that and gave Randy Savage the win and was able to be the new World Heavyweight Champion. Obviously, it pissed Hogan off, which will probably later on set a match between Randy Savage and Hogan for the World Heavyweight Championship. Um, all in all, this was a great event. It really, really was. I mean, from top to bottom, a lot of like, to me, with WCW that I liked the most was that they weren't afraid to put top-notch, like top-notch, some of the best matches they can as their first match. 
you know, and again, I've stated this in the past, a lot of the WCW pay-per-views, you know, like later on, I guess in like 96, 97, 98, and so on and so forth, a lot of the first matches of the pay-per-views were cruiserweights. You know, they were the first match on. So, I mean, and again, the amount of cruiserweights they had on that roster for WCW was phenomenal. Ray Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit. Um, you could put Pillman in that list. Psychosis, Juventud Guerrero, like Chris, you know, Chris Jericho. Um, the amount of names that they have, even for cruiserweights, to put on even their first show kind of highlighted the show and what the show was probably going to be. Now, credit, I'm sure a lot of WCW pay-per-views back then weren't the greatest of all time, but... A lot of people, you know, were zoned in on these cruiserweights because the, the stuff that they were doing inside the square circle in that ring, you never seen before. You know, especially when the luchadors came in like Ray and Psychosis, they were bringing in that other style from Mexico and everything like that, that were luchadors, you know, high flyers and just crazy acrobatics that you really wouldn't see in a normal match. And they brought that into the table. And I'm a humongous fan of Rey Mysterio, big, big fan of Eddie Guerrero and it definitely was a new flavor of professional wrestling that a lot of people didn't see. So like my point, what I'm trying to say is, is that a lot of the first matches that WCW pay-per-views put on were phenomenal matches. I mean, a DDP and Johnny B bad match. I mean, they had that rivalry going on for a little while and it was good matches. I still believe Johnny B bad, you know, AKA Mark Merrill was before his time. I mean, the, some of the stuff that he was doing, you know, the topes that he was doing, the front flips, the springboards, not a lot of wrestlers in WCW at the time were really doing that. It was more mat wrestling. You weren't really getting, it was like really ground to pound kind of wrestling. It really wasn't high flying or anything like that. So my hat's off to Johnny B. Bad. Um, and even DDP. I mean, DDP was kind of way before his time. And he started his career really late. Like, I think he was like 35 or something like that when he really got started into wrestling. I know he was managing before that, but wrestling wise, I think he was like 35 or 38 or something like that. He was up there in age when he started professional wrestling. So. That's all to both those guys. Obviously, the Chris Benoit match versus Sasaki was really good. Um, I know Benoit had spent some time in New Japan as the, the Pegasus kid. Um, Benoit is going to give you a match. I mean, I don't like I said. I every time you see Benoit have a match, he's going to give you one hundred ten percent. And he did in this match. Um, so I can't take away take away his in ring ability and his talent that he had in the ring. Um, Obviously, that's the reason why he was in WCW and so on and so forth. Um, I also like, especially on this pay-per-view, the uh, working relationship that WCW had with New Japan. That's why you had the Benoit and Suzuki match and that women's uh, tag match with Bull Nokano because, you know, all them people came from Japan. So having WCW work with New Japan brought in more names, better matches. I mean, Jushin Thunder Liger, I remember, I remember distinctly him having a match it might have been the first Nitro that he had a match with Brian Pillman, and it was a really good match. So hats off to, you know, Bischoff and the talent at that time to, you know, reach out to New Japan or vice versa to have them have a working relationship together because it really put up and set up some good matches between, you know, both companies. It really did. Um, the other thing I took away from this event, too, as well, is that women's tag match. I think that seeing that women's tag match and you see women's wrestling now on the main roster as a whole, wow. Absolutely wow. You know, again, in, in my defense, I don't know, you know, who Suzuki and Ozaki is. I know they are Japan talent. Um, I think one guy said they were like AJPW promotion or something like that in Japan. And uh, obviously, Bull Nokano is really big in Japan. I know she had a match with uh, Alundra Blaze um, 
it was a phenomenal match. I mean, from the stuff that they were doing in the ring, the cross bodies, everything, all the high flying moves they were doing, you don't see that nowadays really on the you know for the women on the main roster, even for WWE now, you just don't. You know, so hats off to those four women in that match because to me that was one of the matches of the night on this card. It really was like it was high flying, intense. You know, the acrobatics that all the females were doing in this in this match was fantastic. It really was. Um, the other match too, like I said, was Sting and Flair. I said it millions of times now. I can watch a match with Sting and Flair all day long. The chemistry those guys have, the way they gel inside that ring, it's perfect, man. It's like poetry in motion, to be honest with you. You're not going to get to me. And again, I've seen the Ric Flair versus Arn Anderson match, and it's the same way. I mean, those two matches alone, you know, they, they just gel perfectly together. You know, Ric Flair comes off as this, you know, this heel, this, you know, show off, if you will. And Sting comes in extremely the baby face at this time. And this was before he was the vigilante Sting. You know what I mean? So this was Sting with the blonde hair and the face paint and, you know, the different color tights and all that stuff. So it always played good because like I said, Flair came off as that powerful heel and then Sting came off as that baby face. So it did, I mean, both of that, I mean, Flair obviously put Sting over back in the day, especially at the great American bash in Baltimore. Um, so like, you know, I, I appreciate Flair and the fact that he sees talent and Sting is talent. You know, if you say Sting's not a talented wrestler, you have lost your mind. Sting is awesome. You know, he's a great wrestler, very acrobatic, very athletic, you know, he has obviously the physique to wrestle and he took care of himself, you know, while he wrestled, you know, and he was a crowd favorite. I mean, everybody, you know, was glued to Sting when he came out to wrestle and they did the same thing with this match. He had with uh, Ric Flair at the pay-per-view here, you know, the fans gravitated to Sting, you know, so I, and he brought fans in and that's one thing that I appreciate with Sting and he was always, you know, there for the fans. So, and if you're not there for the fans then why, why really are you doing what you're doing? So, all in all, it was a good event. I would have to give it a seven, though. I mean, I think there was a couple matches that, you know, the Bubba, the Bubba Rogers and Jim Doug, I understand it's like a mid-card match, but that, to me, that match was just so, eh. you know, I, I know, you know, Bubba Rogers, you know, if people don't know, is big boss, man. And, I mean, everybody should know who Hacksaw Jim Duggan is, but I think at this time in this match, I think Hacksaw Jim Duggan was a little past his prime at this point. I think he was just in this match to collect a check. Um, not saying he didn't hold his own in the match, but the match was just really stale, to be honest with you. I mean, both were throwing fists and stuff like that, but no moves. I mean, I remember one, it was a lot of botches in that match. I mean, I remember the Irish whip that Duggan uh, had on uh, Bill Rogers, and he came back and he just walked right into Jim Duggan's fist. I was like, come on, man. I, I mean, I understand it. It's entertainment. I get it. But at the same time, too, it's like uh, – Man, no, absolutely not. I just think Jim Duggan was way past his time on this match, and he was just there to collect the check. And I, I feel like at that time, WCW was willing to sign anybody they could that had experience that was, you know, a name, if you will, in professional wrestling, and just sign them because they were doing their best or trying to do their best to beat Monday Night Raw in the ratings. I mean, this pay-per-view alone, I believe, was like the second pay-per-view or the third pay-per-view after the launch of Monday Night Nitro. That, and that was, I think, live from uh, Mall of America in Minnesota. Um, so, like, their feet was still getting wet as far as the Monday Night Nitro thing and trying to go head-to-head with Vince and Monday Night Raw. So, I can understand why they would sign some people. You know, obviously, Jim Duggan made a big name for himself in WWF at the time. So, bringing more guys in from 
WWF to WCW kind of, you know, stuck a fork in Vince a little bit. So, but I don't think Jim Duggan was that kind of name where, you know, you'd be like, oh, you know what? I got one over on you, Vince, because Jim Duggan was kind of way past his prime at that point. You know, I think Lex Luger coming on, you know, being there at Monday Night Nitro on their first Nitro kind of like stung Vince a little bit because, I mean, Vince McMahon was kind of hyping up Lex Luger at the time to be the next like Hulk Hogan, you know, the Lex Express and the match he had with Yokozuna and all that other stuff. So that was more of a like a culture shock, if you will, or a shock to Vince than it would be for Jim Duggan joining WCW. So, but all in all, it was a good event. It was decent. Um, I would have to give it a seven, to be honest with you. So, but all in all, this was your Monday Night Madness review, um, episode two. So I hope you guys uh, liked it. I hope you guys enjoy. I hope you guys are out there staying safe. And uh, please be careful. And remember, always stay stay classic. Peace.